Title of our lesson this morning, From Woodworker to Word Worker. And every time I say that to somebody, they kind of like, what? <laughs> Word Worker? <laughs> well, if you have an issue with that, let me tell you, my spell check had an w- issue with that also. <laughs> every time it's like, we got we to get this figured out. So before I even go any further, I'm going to give you just a little explanation, not only about this title, but also about this PowerPoint. So if you notice right up above, there's those little pieces of wood, those little blocks and so forth. And we have a lot of, you know, there's young kids here. And at some point you give kids little blocks like that. And the reason why you give them that is so that they start to learn something about shapes, right? And so I'm not just being kind of flippant about all this. There's actually method to the madness. They learn something about shapes. And they learned that you can't take a square peg and push it into a round hole. It just doesn't fit. Well, let me tell you, words are like that too. And I hope by the time we go through this lesson, you'll see why I use that word or that term, word worker. So, from woodworker, guess who that is? That's Jesus, to word worker. So, Jesus first worked with wood, and then Jesus worked with words. God desires for us to work with words also. So, three points this morning. Pray for the right words. Secondly, be willing to speak for God, and then lay hold of eternal life. I'll pull up that first point there. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let your speech be with grace. Seasoned with salt. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear, that it may give grace to those that are here. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. And that so you may know how to answer each one. And that the words you speak might give grace to those that are here. Now let me ask you, So I'll preach this to myself and you can listen in. (laughs) Wouldn't it be good if that's the way we always answered? You know what I think is most amazing though as I read those words from Colossians and I read those words from Ephesians? One of the things that I think is most amazing about reading those passages is because I know the background to those passages. And we've talked about those even in class this morning. Do you know where Paul was when he penned those words? He was under house arrest. He was in jail, so to speak. In Rome. It had been four years. He had been arrested unjustly in the temple. He had been held for two years in Caesarea. When he could get no satisfaction there, finally he had to appeal to Caesar. And now he's in Rome being held under house arrest, waiting for trial there before Caesar. And he pens these words. 
Let me ask you, are those the words that you would have been wanting to speak at that particular time? Not me. <laughs> Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that it may be edifying, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know what I would have probably been saying on that occasion? <laughs> you know that Festus? He isn't worth the dynamite it takes to blow him away. <laughs> and Agrippa, he sold out. And Felix, he doesn't know a Jew from a Gentile. And now I'm here, still under arrest, four years later. But rather, Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. That you may give grace to those that are here. You know what Paul also writes at that particular time? He says, I want you to pray for me that a door will be opened. What door do you think he was talking about? Somebody will open the door and I can walk out? <laughs> That's not the door he's talking about. He's talking about a door for the gospel. That an opportunity might arise. An opportunity might be a given. That I may be able to speak. I'm being held unjustly and the thing that I'm thinking about is I want an opportunity to tell these people about Jesus Christ. That's what he's thinking about. I'm thinking about revenge. He's thinking about how I can share the love of God with somebody else. You know what other letter he wrote at this time too? He wrote Philippians. And you know what he says in Philippians chapter 1? In essence, what he says is, Philippians 1 about verses 12 through 14. Oh, by the way, my situation has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. <clears throat> you see that? I'd like to know exactly which order Paul wrote these letters in. I get a feeling the church at the uh, the letter to the church at Colossae was previous. And the words the letter to Philippi followed. Hey, pray for me. I want a door of opportunity. Hey, Philippi in case you're worried about me, things have turned out good. And you know what? The whole palace guard has heard about Jesus Christ. And you know what else? He says, and the brethren here are speaking more boldly. Isn't that something? See, previously, brethren may have heard you know what happened to Paul, right? They're holding him. He's going to stand before Caesar. We don't know how this is going to turn out. Keep your mouth shut because the same thing could happen to you. And now, you know what I heard? The whole palace guard knows why Paul's there. And he's telling them about Christ. Really? Maybe we can speak too. 
And that's exactly what He says. And in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome or evil word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for edification, that it may give grace to those that are here. Is that what you would have been saying to those Roman soldiers that were holding you? I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your soul. I'm being held unjustly. But the most important thing to me is I want to tell you, you Gentile, I'm a Jew. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Many times, this is the point that I want to make. Many times, this is exactly the way the gospel is spread. One person talking to another because of a situation, all of a sudden, the door is open. Can you see that? See, a lot of times we go around and we think, and it's okay to do this. (laughs) I need to ask somebody, do you want to have a Bible study? When a lot of times, that's not necessarily the way it happens. You know how it happens? Somebody says, I got this situation. And you know what ought to be the first thought on our mind? Let me tell you about Jesus Christ and how He fits into your situation. You know what Paul was doing while he was in Rome? What he's saying is, I'm going to speak Jesus Christ into this situation. That was the open door. Paul had a gospel meeting in Rome. And you know who planned it? (laughs) It wasn't the Romans. (laughs) It was God. So you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to speak Jesus Christ into our homes, into our families, into our schools, into our communities. Bring the Lord to the situation. So let me give you this illustration. Let me talk about that woodworker part for a minute, right? So Jesus, before he was a preacher, was a carpenter. He was a woodworker, right? And so let's suppose for a minute that you lived there in Galilee at that time. And you happened to stop by the woodworking shop where Jesus works. And you say to Jesus, I would like for you to build me, I want you to build me a chair. 
See, because there might be lots of chairs, but I don't want one of those. I want you, Jesus, to build me a chair. And if Jesus built you a chair, do you think that chair would fit you perfectly? Yeah. Well, you're this tall or you're this tall. You're this, or this wide. <laughs> Whatever it might be. And your feet rest comfortably on the floor because it's just the right height and it supports your back. And this chair just, I'm telling you, Jesus knows how to build a chair. It fits me perfect. I want to read something to you from the book of Luke. Luke, the seventh chapter. Because I have no doubt if Jesus decided to build you a chair, it would be the perfect chair. But I also believe he was just as skilled with words as he would have been in working wood. His words would fit perfectly. So there's occasion in Luke the seventh chapter. There is a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And he invites Jesus to come to his house for dinner. But as Jesus goes there to his house, as Jesus walks in, Simon is a Pharisee. And you know how those Pharisees are. <laughs> if there's anybody righteous in this town, it's them Pharisees, right? And he's inviting Jesus. Why? He's heard of him. He's creating a stir. I don't think he's really interested in honoring Jesus. He's more like, let's just check him out. But it just so happens as Jesus comes to his house, he doesn't really give him any greeting. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't give him a kiss of greeting. He doesn't anoint his head. He doesn't do any of those things. But Jesus comes and there's this woman of the city. And she's a sinner. And she sits at Jesus' feet. And her tears fall on his dirty feet. And she's washing his feet with her tears. Taking her hair and drying his feet. And taking fragrant oil and anointing his feet. And Simon is sitting there watching all of this. And he says if he were really a prophet. He would know what kind of woman that is. That touches him. Now listen to Jesus. Luke 7 chapter. Verse 41. Verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him. Simon. I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, that's both of them, when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman, but he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Which one of those two was proud? Which one of those two was humble? Did Jesus address both of them? Did his words fit perfectly? Right words. Right time. Right situation. To the right people. It's exactly what they needed to hear. His words fit the occasion. Matthew 7, at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, that when he finished speaking, they marveled at his words because he did not speak like their scribes. He spoke as one having authority. Now you think about this scenario, you think about this situation, you think about Jesus and his word addressing Simon. I'm thoroughly convinced Jesus was interested in Simon's soul. I want you to humble yourself a little bit, Simon, so you'll listen to what I what I have to say to you. Because as long as we're proud and we're puffed up, we're not willing to listen. And then as far as that woman is concerned, have you ever seen somebody that said... I don't feel like I'm worthy. And Jesus speaks exactly the words that she needs to hear. Can we see that? But sometimes we would look at that and we say, well, I'm not Jesus. (laughs) And none of us are Jesus. And I would say, that's true. Because John chapter 2 tells us about Jesus that no one needed to reveal to him what was in man because Jesus knew what was in man. So what we have to do is we have to consider our words. And we have to think about what's the situation? Who are we talking to? What needs to be said? And what are we trying to accomplish? See, because sometimes we rush right ahead. And that's why I was saying at the beginning 
If I was Paul and I was in that situation, Larry would be rushing right ahead. This is what I think about this. This is what I think about you. (laughs) How I've been mistreated. But Paul was thinking about what Jesus would do in that situation and what he was trying to accomplish. And so we have to stop and think. In every scenario, in every situation. Before we start talking, think, what are we trying to accomplish? You remember the old saying, why did God give us two ears and one mouth? Because <laughs> He wants us to do twice as much listening as talking. But sometimes, we do twice as much talking as listening. Right? And so what we need to do is to first... Pray for the right words. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11. Said a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold set in silver. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that just paint a picture? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold set in silver. That's that's beautiful. Have you ever seen a situation where somebody says the right thing, exactly the right thing, and... Things just kind of level out. Things smooth out. And what was really ugly has now become beautiful. And that's what the writer of Proverbs is talking about. And so Paul in Colossians chapter 4, he says, pray for an open door. An opportunity. And then make sure that your speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each one. So if you're given the opportunity, you also got to be able to use that opportunity profitably, right? So let me give you another illustration because, see, sometimes words... Paint pictures. I think Proverbs 25. Words paint pictures, you know. And sometimes we say the wrong thing and the picture it ends up painting is just it's all wrong. <laughs> it's like that's not the way I intended it at all. So let me give you this other illustration. You know any painters? I do. One of them has a beard. And so recently we wanted a little painting done in our house. Here's this paint. I would like for you to take it and put it on that wall. You want me to take that paint in that bucket and put it on that wall? Yes. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I want. You said you wanted that paint on that wall. Did I put that paint on that wall? Well, yeah, you did, but it's a mess. No, I want you with your skill, with your ability to take this and put it on that wall. Words are like that. We have words, but God wants us to use some skill to apply it to the canvas, so to speak. 
so that it turns out the way we want it. You know, some people are really skilled at painting. Some people, maybe not so much. We went through the book of Acts, and in Acts the 18th chapter, there was a fellow by the name of Apollos. Remember what it said about him? He was eloquent in speech. This man is very good with words. Paul comes to Corinth, and what does he say? I did not come to you with excellency of speech. I'm not as skilled as some people. Some people are just very good at it. And that's the way it is with us also. And so what Paul is suggesting in Colossians 4 is that we need to stop, we need to think, we need to pray for the right words. And let me speak Jesus Christ into your life. Can we see that? Philippians chapter 1, as he writes to the church at Philippi, the things have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I got a chance to speak. Spoke the right words. Spoke Jesus Christ into this situation. And things are getting better. It's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever had someone say to you, Hey, do you have a minute? I'd like to ask you about something. You know, as one who works with words, (laughs) you could say I'm a word worker. But what I have to keep in mind is this. When somebody asks me, do you have a minute? I'd like to know your thoughts about this. You know what they're really saying? Larry, I don't care anything about what you think. (laughs) What I want to know is, what does this say about my situation? (laughs) That's what they're really saying. And so when someone asks us, hey, I want to ask your opinion about something. Do you stop and do you think? How can I speak Jesus Christ into their life? How can I speak Jesus Christ into this situation? Or do we just start talking? And I'd have to say guilty. Sometimes I just start talking. And sometimes it doesn't turn out the way I hoped it would. On Wednesday nights, we we study the Old Testament, right? And as Israel went into the promised land, as they stayed in that promised land, they fought various battles, right? And one of the things that they had to learn, they had trouble with. But one of the things that they should have learned is before you ever enter into any kind of a struggle... What was the very first thing that they were supposed to do? 
seek God. Okay? You're getting ready to go into this battle. The very first thing that I want you to do is to seek God. I want you to pray about this. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever heard of a war of words? (laughs) Has it ever happened to you or is it just unique to me? You start to give a person an answer and then pretty soon it's an argument. (laughs) It's like, where did this turn and where did this go wrong? And now it's just like, it's like, that didn't turn out at all the way. And it's become a war of words. And you think, wait a minute what was I really trying to accomplish here and did I pray about this before I even entered into this Psalms 19 in verse 14 let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable to you first. You know, one of the things that we oftentimes say about God's Word is this. It's first a mirror, and then it's a window. Can we see that? And so we have to keep that in mind. Before I start talking, remember this is a mirror. (laughs) And then it can become a window. Be willing to speak. I love the honesty of God's Word, don't you? (laughs) And sometimes it makes me chuckle. And sometimes some of the Bible characters, even the most famous, kind of make me smile. Do you know that Moses is actually kind of funny? (laughs) You might think, well, what's funny about Moses? You know, it's like, I remember him going to Egypt. I remember the plagues. I remember him leading them out. And it's like, behold, the salvation of the Lord and the Red Sea splits and they, you know, all that. Remember that? But do you remember before Moses ever went to Egypt? God appeared to him and he told him he was going to send him. And so did Moses say, yay? (laughs) I'll get right with it. That's not what he says, is it? He argues with God about it. And he tells him, I'm slow of speech. I don't talk well. You got the wrong guy. You need to send somebody else. I'm going to read you Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse 10 from the New Living Translation. It's kind of modern day vernacular type stuff. But listen to what he says. Exodus, fourth chapter, verse 10. So Moses, in essence, is pleading with God, send anybody, just don't send me. Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. That's the New Living Translation. Lord, you don't, you don't want me. I, I, I'm just not you know, the one. I get all confused. I get tongue-tied. I get twisted. So you don't want to send me. And as it turns out, we know the story, right? God ends up sending Aaron along to be spokesman. 
But now Moses goes to Egypt. He leads them out of bondage. And he spends time, a lot of time, with all these people in the wilderness. And this bunch is not the easiest bunch to get along with, right? Remember that? I mean, three days into the wilderness and they're complaining. Three days. And after that, they complain regularly. And they complain all the time. And finally, we come to Numbers, the 20th chapter, and about verse 10. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this is the same guy who said, Lord, I don't speak very well. And I get tongue-tied. And my words get all tangled. You need to send somebody else, not me. But after he spends a number of years with these people, it's like somewhere along the line, he learned how to talk. (laughs) Numbers of 20th chapter and verse 10. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Did it sound like he was tongue-tied then? Did it sound like his words were all tangled? Do you think he made his point? Yeah, he made his point. But you know what he didn't do? He could have used it at this time. He could have used a little of Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be with grace. Seasoned with salt. That you might give edification. That you might know how to answer each one. What happened to Moses? God told him to go and speak to that rock. He didn't speak to the rock. He spoke to those people. Do you know what he did to the rock? He hit it twice. And then he spoke to the people. Okay. What was the intent? What was God trying to do? God wanted these people to listen, follow him, and see that he could provide for them in any situation that they faced. Instead, Moses, he just gets frustrated. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, it says, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. Just prior to that, he says, In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God. Man on his own cannot know God. He has to be taught. And in order to be taught, there has to be a teacher. And sometimes you have to be patient. But God wants us all to speak. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart and always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you with meekness and with gentleness. God wants us. Acts 8 chapter. 
when there was persecution and it speaks about the Christians it said they went everywhere preaching the word now I understand Ephesians 4 and verse 11 he gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers God gave some to be word workers work with my word but for what reason? Ephesians 4 and verse 11. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. I want you to equip them. Word workers. Matthew 9, about verse 35 through 38. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. There's opportunities. Sometimes we just don't see them. And in every time somebody says, what do you think about this? A door was just opened. Can you speak Jesus into this situation? So we speak the gospel to those who are lost. We speak God's mercy to those who are burdened by sin. We open Bibles to quiet fears and to give hope. We deliver God's covenant to show how people can become a part. We point them towards the warning of the prophets and we share the stories of witnesses of years, times gone by. And we tell them, this is a love letter from the bridegroom to his bride. Because we're word workers. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, as Paul writes to the younger evangelist, he tells Timothy, fight the good fight. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He tells Timothy, fight the good fight, and he encourages him, remember. Remember when you obeyed the gospel? Remember when you made that good confession? Someone taught you, Timothy, and so now God wants you to be a word worker and to teach someone else. We oftentimes talk about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished. We have what we need. But we have to be word workers. Learn it. Apply it. Share it. And Paul tells Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Why is he telling that? Because that's what we deal in. We deal in eternity. That's our stock and trade, as one person wrote. You know, sometimes we get to thinking, I got to try a little harder. 
I've got to pick up the pace. I got to run a little faster. You know what I think the Lord would like to whisper in our ear at that time? You don't need to try harder. You don't need to pick up the pace. You don't need to run faster. What you need is to draw closer. And the time to do that is now. Let me give you one more illustration. It's too bad Gerald didn't hear because I'm sure he would be he would know what I'm talking about. 1989, there was a movie, the title of The Dead Poets Society. You ever heard of it? Robin Williams. Robin Williams plays the part of a teacher in this sort of elite boys' school. And Robin Williams, in his usual form, is a little eccentric. He's a little bit out of decorum with what just the normal approach to teaching and so forth. And one day in a lecture, he says to them, Carpe diem. And he asked me, you know what that means? And that's for Latin for seize the moment or seize today. But it's the Dead Poets Society, right? <laughs> and so he ties that to a dead poet, which is actually Robert Herrick. And Robert Herrick wrote these words. He says, Gather ye rosebeds, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. And then he asked them, you know why that poet wrote that? And now in his sort of unusual style and playing this teacher, he says to them, the reason why that poet wrote that is because we are all food for worms. A little blunt way to put it, isn't it? <laughs> but he was trying to make the point. If you're going to do something, you do it now. Carpe diem. Gather rosebuds while you may. You've got today. You may not have tomorrow. And so God wants us to be word workers. But the time to do that is now. Colossians 4, Paul says, Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. Ephesians 4, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. Be word workers. Use the words that he has given Remember the blessing that you've received and to share that with someone else. Speak Jesus Christ into their life, into their situation, into our lives, into our situations. Jesus went from being a woodworker to being a woodworker. May extend the invitation now to any and that are all that are here. If we can help you apply Jesus Christ in your life this day, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.